Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a man who isn't involved in startups. He's involved at the other end of the cycle from the world of insolvency, Mr. Ian Nairn. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Very well, thank you. Ian, Ian. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because the last time you and I spoke, you definitely were not involved in the world of insolvencies. No, I've definitely got the chequered history, um, that, that's for sure. So um, I, I am actually an insolvency practitioner by, you know, by trade, as it were. It's what I started off doing um, as soon as I graduated. But, but having picked up some of the skills around insolvency and seeing other bits of businesses around I sort of moved out and about into the finance world so when we last spoke I was with a, a business called North Star Ventures who were one of the regional growth fund investors in the northeast um, but I've also spent a bit of time dealing in, in debt um, working for Bibi Financial Services and have run my own business as well so I've been uh, you know, have had my own insolvency practice as well as being FD of a of a business that took on investment from one of those regional growth funds. So um, lots of things to talk about in, in my past and uh, an experience that I've gained, um, all of which ultimately bro- keeps bringing me back to the to the bit that I, I suppose I love the, the most because I keep ending back up here, is dealing with, with businesses who are in a bit of financial strife. Yeah, that all sounds very fascinating. But this, this is the first time we've had a an England international on the podcast as well. Not just an England international, but an England international captain. Tell us a little bit about that, Ian. Yeah, very sadly, an ex England international captain. But um, so I'm I, I'm an amputee. Um, I lost my leg at birth, and uh, was very fortunate to have been able to um, to play cricket for the England physically disabled team. Um, and so we captained them to to win the first ever World Cup uh, back in 2015, and then we got to the final back in 2019. Um, and you know, after after two World Cup finals, that was the time to hang up the bats and uh, and let the young kids get on with it. And it turns out I timed it quite well because the team have barely played since August 2019 with all that we've been dealing with um, with COVID. So in most people's eyes, they're probably still the person they remember as captain. <laughs> you know, sadly, I think they have played now two games and and there has been a new captain announced. Um, but I suspect it'll be you know, with the funding and disability sport, it will probably be another year or two before we get to see any international cricket. Um, and, and that someone actually picks up a cap for, for captain in their country. Indeed. Um, but you know, what, a, what a brilliant experience and, um, and life to live. Um, you know, I'm very jealous of the, the younger lads now who are who are getting to take it on. Although I can imagine that there's some real frustration at the minute because you, yeah. you were just getting to a level where you were getting the support and uh, it, and the, the rest of the nations were getting on board and doing things properly as well. Um, and then then this when COVID comes along and uh, shatters those plans. Indeed, COVID comes along, and I'd imagine COVID comes along. A lot of businesses have have had their metal tested. And you're in the insolvency end of the game. What's happened? Well, you know, it's been very interesting, hasn't it? Because I think you know, 23rd of March last year, when Boris stood up and uh, said, you need to stay at home, um, my phone rang constantly for probably four to six weeks um, with clients saying, what do we do? How, how can you help? Um, and I have to say, initially, it was, you know, we're, we're really struggling with what to do to help. 
you definitely don't want to, to liquidate your company or put it into administration at the minute. Um, you, you don't know what your customers are going to do insofar as payment. You don't know how you're going to be affected insofar as on your ongoing supplies and the likes. Um, and we also didn't know at the very start what, what government assistance was going to come. Um, you know, it, it took them a couple of weeks to get the furlough scheme you know, announced and, and up and running. But then it, you know, it talked to a lot of accountants and a lot of IPs. It seemed like every big announcement happened at five o'clock on a Friday night, just as we were all trying to knock off for the weekend. And that led to a flurry of phone calls from six o'clock on a Friday night. And when you can't go to the pub on a Friday night, you needed something else to do. Well, I, yeah, exactly. I, I think that was the, you know, it, it was one of those things we, we were living through. It. And so my wife is an intensive care nurse. So you know, we, we were living through it firsthand on the, you know, on the battlefront um, with, with her. And, and she would, um, you know, she caught it on the, about the 30th or 31st of March um, and was confirmed COVID a few days later. And so had three weeks in bed. So you know you were sort of looking after her on on one hand, and then seeing the commercial effect of COVID, um, as well as the physical effect um, on, on the on the clients and and everyone else. So it was a um, you know it was a busy couple of months. So giving practical advice rather than um, necessarily um, strategic advice. You know it was you look after your cash. Keep your, the more cash you can keep in your bank the more chance you have of fending off the, any wolves that are circling. Um, and, you know, talk to your staff, talk to all, you know, just communicate with people because if everyone was was being hit by the same thing at the same time um, and and people were, um, in some cases, understanding of, of the difficulties being faced by others. Um, and that was the main, the main thrust of probably everything up until... Um, Probably the, the the end of the last summer, um, and then I think the easing, um, you know, and and it out to help out, obviously, breathe new life back into the into the economy, but sadly it, it appears also breathe new life into the into into COVID itself, um, and, and got us back into the difficulties that that we that we've seen over the winter, um, it, so I think now we're starting to see, um, you know, we're, the insolvency market has been very slow. Um, you know, the for Q1 2021 versus Q1 2020, we were uh, um, we were 50% down on admin appointments, so the appointments of administrators over companies. Um, so that shows you that there was a um, there's a lot of cash in the economy, or a lack of pressure. And I think in, in this instance, there's probably a bit of both. So the, mm-hmm. you know, I think most people would say that the the C-bills and the bounce-backs and the furlough schemes, insofar as looking after the humans in Britain and keeping food on uh, your know, food on the plates and, and heating light on the, in the houses, has worked. The big mm. challenge is going to be how, you know, how do we get that repaid through the, through the businesses that have borrowed them? Um, you know, as taxpayers, what's that, what effects are going to have on us in the future? Um, and was it, was it really enough to, to protect businesses um, as they move forward. And I suppose only time is going to answer that question because there, there must be a large level of debt out there that wasn't there 12, 14 months ago. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think the, the revenue, and, and rightly so, have been flexible with um, with payments. They, they've allowed deferrals. And, and that deferral has kept businesses alive to this point. But we're now at a point where you... How is that going to affect businesses' ability to borrow? Um, so the, the crown took a um, 
just took a new preferential status. Um, so coming secondary after employees, but puts them above the um, the unsecured creditors. So that there's not going to be a, an awful lot of money if a business fails going going back that way. Um, but it also puts some of the funders at, at disease um, because they're now looking going, hang on a minute, you've allowed this two years worth of debt to run up potentially. Um, those numbers are quite eye-watering and you're going to take some money out before me. Um, that that's going to really affect my recoveries if I, you know, if, if an administrator is appointed. Um, so that it'll be interesting to see how the banks deal with with life moving forward, having put so much money out and under good faith on the bounce back scheme and you know in the, in the Seabill scheme. I suppose the the silver lining in that particular cloud is that the money they put out is at very very cheap interest rates, and it is. There's an opportunity it, there that says if you had some expensive debt before the crisis, well, get that paid off first. Uh, yep, yeah, and I think there there will have been some people. So I I, I suspect there are probably you know, three categories of business. You you've got the category of business that was going to fail. Um, so you know, I personally would probably see you know, two or three business failures a month on a normal you know, on a normal year. Um, those that just hasn't happened for the last the last 12 months for, for sure um so those businesses that were going to fail have been artificially supported by by furlough by bounce back loans by government grants for, for property and you'll have some of them actually now have been properly properly capitalized and are ready to go uh, and actually those business some of those businesses will be able to turn themselves into a success um, because of the additional support that's been given, as opposed to you know, an impending business failure, yep. you'll then have some businesses who t- who weren't going to fail, who've just been so badly affected by COVID and and, and what's been going on that no matter what support is given, um, they're going to find it very difficult. So you know, some of that might be in the hospitality trade um, as they find a way to bounce back. But when you hear some of the figures around, you know, how much it's cost bars and restaurants um, from being in and out of, of lockdowns and, and what they can and can't do. Um, I think there, there would definitely be some concern around um, how viable businesses are in that sector. Um, but it, but even across other sectors as well, you know, um, where where people are looking for bad debt protection and, and are insuring their debts, you know, a lot of the insurers are now saying, actually, we're up against it here. We, we've, we've lent a lot of uh, or we've provided a lot of cover against um, a, a lot of debtors, and we're now uncomfortable with the level of exposure that we've got. So, um, for some businesses, just the ability to trade with with other customers, and these, some of these are you know, are big blue chip companies. Um, you know, the insurers are feeling overexposed on that, um, and it it is it, it, it's going to be fascinating, I think, to see how we mm. how we unwind it because. Politically, can we have uh, you know, a, a massive collapse and, and um, you know, hundreds of thousands of businesses going, going bump? I, you know, I don't think that would be allowed to happen. It, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't seem to, to follow with what they've, what they've been doing. But then how do they su- prevent that and how do they support it um, without potentially borrowing billions and billions more? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's going to be the that, that's going to be a real challenge for you know, for us all, it, as well as I think you know the, 
unfortunately, this probably comes just as we were getting towards the end of austerity. Um, and a lot of business owners, you know, certainly in, in SME land, um, have been working for the last 10 years, you're fighting and fighting to, you know, to get back to where they were, um, sort of pre-credit crunch. And, and some of them now will be looking on going, I, you know, I've had 10 years of fight. Do I want to have another 10 years of fight? Or, or actually, yeah. is, my, is my personal wealth now in a position where I can just call this a day and, and let's walk away and, um, you know, and retire? I, I suppose that actually in having gone through austerity, the painful as it was, that it put us in a situation that at least government could then start borrowing money again without it being too disastrous for the overall economy. Yeah, I, I suppose all of that comes down to your political stance, doesn't it? Um, would um, would our recovery from the credit crunch have been uh, faster and stronger had we spent our way out of it rather than rather than saving our way out of it um, versus you know, where, where we would have got to? And I guess... Yeah. Um, Hindsight and um, is a is a great thing. No one will ever know um, exactly. what, the, what the different outcome would have been. I think that's one of those areas where there's probably no right answer. No, and I, I, you know, it's a it's a saying that we use a lot in in insolvency practices. We are where we are. We can't we can't go back and change anything. Um, yeah. So we now just have to deal with what the future holds and make the best of that. Um, and and certainly as a as a nation, that's. That seems to be um, the the current stance that the majority of us have taken. You know, where Brexit is done, um, the, there's mm. no there's no going back. Um, you know, COVID has, has been and and done its worst, hopefully. Um, and you know, let's now try and get on that recovery and, and hope that there are some uh, some plans that we can Absolutely. achieve fairly shortly. Absolutely. But we, we got you on the show in to to talk about insolvency and what an insolvency practitioner can actually do and how perhaps it's not necessarily the undertaker coming along for your business and how you can help so what is the day-to-day life of an insolvency practitioner so we i suppose you, you there are a lot of different things that come into our into our world um, you will see on my screen that our one of our taglines is solving problems resolving issues and, and that ultimately is what a, what an IP does, where where people come to us with with issues and we seek to solve them. Now, um, a lot of that in our ability to deal comes down to how much time we have um, and and how we can how um, that gives us our ability to do things with our, with our clients. So, yeah, if someone comes to us on a Thursday and say, well, "You can't pay wages on a Friday," what do I do? We don't have an awful lot of option because at that stage, your staff are, are expecting their money. We can't magic money out of out of thin air. Um, and, and normally, that's indicative of other problems within the business that have been running on for months and months in advance. And you've got to the you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And, and at that stage, you know, there are times where that is just an immediate call to action. You know, we we have to go in. You know, I suppose ultimately the. So the insolvency practitioner, as they are um, a liquidator or an administrator, our role is to protect the assets of the company, to realise them for the benefit of the creditors, and then and then pay them out to the creditors um, in repayment of the debt. So that that's what our target is with it, with every insolvency that we that we're involved in. If you come to us earlier than that, 
then we we can look at our insolvency avoidance options and your or softer insolvency um, processes that might allow the business to continue to trade and and bring something out on the. That's interesting because I've I've always assumed in in insolvency you you're normally dealing with the case that you've just mentioned. We've run out of money. We can't pay the bills. We've now got to wind this all up. So. Tell, tell me some more about that, that that idea. Somebody's come along and maybe it's a couple of months before that Thursday when they can't pay the wages on Friday. What are you going so, to do? I, um, the key bit is trying to understand what's being going on in the business. So you're, at the minute, we're going to see a lot of people who are telling us we've been affected by COVID. Well, that's fine. But So let's go back to pre-March uh, the 23rd, 2020, because what was your business doing then? Were you a, were you a profitable business? Is, is it viable? Who are your customers? What are you? Um, are you actually making money off your off your key customers? Because there are so many businesses out there who sit um, sit back and go, "Yeah, I, I've got this fantastic customer. I do half a million pounds turnover a year with them. Isn't it great?" And you look at it and go, "Well, it's fantastic that you do half a million pounds of the turnover with them, but you need to be doing six hundred to be making a profit from them." Um, and so, actually, that best customer of yours is losing new money. But because we see the cash coming in from them and they're paying on good terms, and you know, and they would do because they're, they're getting a good deal out of this, um, there are a lot of businesses who are who don't have that granular detail of uh, you know, of, of how customers are and, and how they're dealing with customers. And I think as well on the finance side, how much finance is costing them. Um, you know, We see a lot of people using invoice finance with a it only cost me one percent because that's all that's charged on top. You go well, it's only costing you one percent to put the invoice on, but then it's costing you three and a half percent on the money money that you're borrowing, whilst whilst it's out of the door. So that's quite a, that's quite an increase if you haven't covered that in your costings. So I think certainly in SME land, there you know, not every business has a financial controller. Um, you know, not certainly not every business has a financial director, and uh, and they maybe don't have that the detail behind what their business is really doing to um, to understand when things go wrong how they can recover that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think you know we're, we're looking at things like that. You know to to say you know if I've got a couple of months to look at this, we can actually dig into some detail. We can look at um, you know in detail P and L accounts and and say right okay this is where you're working, um, this is where you're not working. What do we do with the what do we do with the bit that isn't working? Is it inefficient? Is it an area that we shouldn't be shouldn't be trading in? Um, so you know, is it a little area that you went off to to do you know one quiet day and go, oh, this works because someone bought it off me. Um, when actually it's just a distraction from your main business focus. Um, and having those conversations with with business owners, because you know, ultimately I'm I'm good. But I don't know everything about every business sector and every industry. Um, you know, we're relying on the business owners who work in, and, have, and have spent, in a lot of cases, their lifetime in a specialist sector to come to me and, and say, well, um, this is what happens in my industry. This is how I think I'm working. And for us to then challenge that back with what, they, what their business is really telling us. Um, and so working alongside their accountant to to do that, I think that's one of the one of the keys. Or 
or with other stakeholders in the business as well. So that you're a lot of the time, you we will be introduced to someone early, not necessarily from the director spotting that they have a an upcoming issue, but from a bank who spots that a client has an upcoming issue, or from a client uh, an accountant who spots the the same. So some of it when we have the time is very much a, an education piece um, on you know, what is your business doing? What are your potential turnaround mechanisms? So you know, to a degree, uh, you know, and I know you're, you're a, a consultant, there are things that, um, that you will do that I can't do and vice versa. Um, and it's about, so for us at, at times, we're dealing with a manufacturing business where they say, they want to say, I think we're just inefficient in our manufacturing process. Okay, let's see if we can introduce you to someone who can look at that manufacturing process with you and see if he, you know, see if they meet that agreement. And is there anything that they can bring in to turn that around? If they turn that around, what's the benefit going to be to the uh, to the company um, on the other side? And is that is that a cost worth worth doing? So we, we can play the uh, you know, I, I call it the soft, the softer skills side of side of things. You know, the discussions around marketing. Um, you know, are, are you trying to sell your products in the right place? Um, uh, you know, do you do you need to go and look at, at, at a different market? You know, one of the things that I quite often challenge business owners on is you know, what are your competition doing? Um, and whilst you're, uh, whilst you shouldn't be overly focused on your competition. They can give you some guidance as to as to what the world or, or what the world could look like. Um, it's up to you to identify whether the what the competition's doing is good or bad. Um, but they can give you some ideas as to as to where they are because mm. a lot a lot of us live in a you know, the northeast is a very small world. Um, you know, there are um, a lot of businesses in the you know, in similar sectors where they're intrinsically linked and the business owners might not realize that but when you go and hire the the best salesman from the window company down the road you're bringing in some of the practice of the window company down the road um, and when your staff go to someone else you're losing some of some of your business process into that business and, and all of it do, will come together hopefully do it to improve business that's, yes. that's what you're trying to do but um but ultimately You've got to be smart enough to realise when things are are going a little bit south, and um, and you need help, I guess. So I guess that's it. It's recognising that you need help early enough. And I said, okay, it's a couple of months before that point at which you can't pay the wage bill. Is a couple of months enough in most cases, or are we talking really you need you need longer than that? Change doesn't happen overnight, does it? It it doesn't. But I think what you can say is. So one of the key bits of guidance that we, we would give is, is to always run a 12-week cash flow. Um, you know, ultimately, in, in most businesses, cash is king. Um, and if you've got the cash to continue to trade, it will allow you to do um, to, to put some change into your business. If you can't do that within, um, within your period of having cash, that's when we can then bring in some of our processes that would that would support that business change. So it might be that you come to us with you know two months down the line, we can spend a month identifying, right, these are the areas, this is how it's going to affect the business, and this is what the positive change is going to be. 
we might ultimately look at it and then go, well, actually, that positive change isn't sufficient to turn the whole business around. We're, we're still too far down the line to, to recover from that. So you might look at running one of our, you, you might look at doing a company voluntary arrangement, for instance, where you would, um, in effect, it is what it says, it's a, a voluntary arrangement of a company with its creditors. So you would put a, a deal to creditors to say, look, we we can turn this business around. We've got a, a genuine plan of doing it. Here's all the assistance we've had beforehand of, in the lead up to this. This is how we're going to actually deal with that um, restructuring process. Um, would you accept us paying 80 pence in the pound on our on our debt? Um, and, and we'll we'll pay some profits over to you, to the supervisor, so to, to me, for the course of the next three to five years. And once that's once that's done, um, we will move on as a you know, as a free company to continue to trade. Um, but you've had some good money back in respect of your your debts. Yeah, and, and I suppose in a lot of cases, if you're going to say take eighty pence in the pound, it's better than fifty pence in the pound, or worse if you wind the company up. Well, uh, you know, ultimately, um, I, I don't actually know what the stat is around money going back to back to creditors, but I would suspect that it's very rare that you get more than five pence in the pound going yeah. through any form of insolvency. Um, mm. Full stop. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, if a business fails, uh, and I, you know, I was looking at one a couple of weeks ago, which had a couple of hundred thousand pounds worth of uh, plant the machinery on its on its books, but you get that valued up and it comes in at sixty thousand. Um, you for a, for a sale at auction. Now, okay, you might do a little bit better than that on the day, but you could also do worse than that on the day. Um, and uh, you know I, that then goes in to cover the costs of the of the process first. So um, you know where insolvency practitioners aren't on charities um, and when we're not government funded we, we get paid out of the assets of the of the company um, you have to pay the employees if their employees made redundant for all of their um, protected claims so redundancy notice pay holiday pay and uh, yes. and the rears of pay and actually if you've got a business with a you know with 10 to 15 members of staff who've been there 10 to 15 years those numbers can get you can add up to big, a yeah. relatively chunky um, sum of money. Mm. Uh, 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 so ultimately, you know, the, there are things that we put out to creditors um, in respect of, of CVAs where you might only be offering 25 pence in the pound <clears throat> because it's still five or six times more than you're going to get back through any other process. Um, in, and it gives the company a fighting chance of, of recovery. But importantly, you also get the ability to move on and trade with that yes. company again. So yeah, not only do you get some money back, but you get the ability to uh, to earn some profit off future sales. Mm. Whereas if you lose it, if you lose the customer, um, you know that that's also going to have an effect on on the creditor company um, as it as it moves forward. And we certainly see in some instances, you know, when you get a uh, when you get one of the bigger insolvencies, you get the trickle down effect coming through. So you know, a failure of a, a you know, of a big business um, will then trickle down to the next stage. So you, you might have the multinational company fails that then um, brings down one of the big national players, which brings down three of the big regional players, which brings down two of the local players, which brings down three of one man bands, and all of a sudden, you know, one business failure has resulted in a couple of hundred 
through yeah. through the line, um, albeit oddly, the Carillion um, failure didn't seem to have that same sort of trickle down effect. But um, there, there wasn't quite as much um, follow through from that one. Mm. Now, that surprised me. I was just going to ask you about Carillion and what what your experience was from that and. I the the last consultancy company I worked with was a, a very similar business to to Carillion, um, and we got into big big trouble in 2010 uh, as soon as austerity hit because we were big big into public sector outsourcing and into actually the outsourcing part of the business wasn't too bad because they're mostly long term contracts but the highways part of the business suddenly government stopped spending money at all on roads. Mm-hmm. And fifty percent of the business just disappeared overnight. Um, yeah, and I think it's a it's a challenge for those big businesses, isn't it? Because it, mm-hmm. ultimately, um, you know, yes, some of the work is being done by themselves, but other bits of work are being done by third party um, contractors. Yes, um, and and it would be naive to think that um, some of the uh, work wasn't just one on price. Um, you know, they've all got their quality statements and you know, an, an experience to fall back on to show that they can handle the, the multi-million pound uh, projects that they're being asked to deliver. Um, but as you gradually pass that down and down and down, something you know, the, the the quality um, potentially gets weaker um, as you as you sub it out and sub it out, um, and it's a you know, it's it's almost a procurement business as much as it is yes. you know, um, anything else. It, it, it is um, taking on big contracts and, and sourcing people who can do that work for the um, for central government. Um, and yeah. it's potentially just added mm. a tier of profit in. Mm. And certainly the business that I was part of, um, one of the things that they would do on a long-term, say, local government outsourcing contract is they'd recognise there was business change that could be done in that, that area, there was transformation that could be done, there were ways and means of delivering the service for a lower price. Uh, but they'd go in, they'd probably look, okay, 10-year contract, what, what does it cost us in year one? What's it going to cost us in year 10? Okay, what's it going to cost us on average? And their average would be where the bid price was put in. So yep. you, you'd end up in a, effectively, you knew you were going to make a loss for the first three years on that contract. There was no other way. Yeah. And you were relying on making that transformation. And yeah. so that, that's one of the places that's, that our organization got stuck is that the business started falling apart while we were carrying that sort of financing arrangement of, of, of local government contracts. Yep, and you know, ultimately, um, you know, the cheapest isn't always the best. I, you know, I, I guess, and um, you know, there does seem to be a the nature of the world is that you know, actually, if we can get stuff in it, uh, in cheap, it can be replaced when it when it goes wrong. You know, yeah. the the success of Primark, um, you know, mm. tell 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 you that you know, the the quality is questionable, but the prices are fantastic. Um, yeah. So you, you can you can get in there, um, you know, get. Ten new T-shirts to, to see you through your holiday and, and leave them all on holiday and bring back a, a case full of alcohol um, mm. and yeah, and take advantage of duty free, um, it, and I think that goes across a, a lot of sectors. You know, most people are bidding for work on on price, yes. and 
even if you think you have the greatest level of quality, price more likely will, will win out unless you've got a very special relationship with the buyer. Um, and I think that's the, yeah, it's a challenge that all businesses face. You know, we, we face it, there, you know, there are insolvency practitioners up and, down, up and down the land. All of us have access to, you know, we're, we're all capable of doing a, a liquidation and administration, you know, a CVA. Um, we've all passed the same exams. We're all as qualified as each, as each other is. Um, and, and yet, you know, you know, some of it through branding, some of it through experience, um, you you set out and um, go, and clients come to you with almost from different sectors depending on the practices that you're involved in. You you're unlikely to find a, an owner managed small business um, walking through the doors of, of KPMG or, or Deloitte um, looking for restructuring advice. Um, they're, they're more likely to come to come my way. Um, at the same time. I'm unlikely to to see a listed company coming my way. Um, they're going to walk through the through the big shiny doors, um, yeah, and I'll probably I, I pay twice as much for the same thing. Yes, and we've all passed the same exams. Um, we're, we're all doing the same things. We're, we're all reporting to the same bodies. Um, but that perception of, um, I suppose, a value is is always there. It doesn't always then relate really refer back into costs. I guess. Yeah. So I guess you're in scenario one and you're doing the company administration, the liquidation, the wind up, and you see that through to the end. Um, I suppose a variant of that is you've, you've managed to, to take over the business and as administrators, you're running it on and trying to sell the assets as a going concern. You stay involved. What about that voluntary arrangement? thing is that is that kind of a one-off you you come in you do the voluntary arrangement you step away again or do you, do you remain involved in in that sort of organization so we're very much project-based in, in what we do so with a voluntary arrangement and with with admins and equations we will come in so a voluntary arrangement is probably the um one of the longer um processes that we run so it, it is three to five years Right. But it's also a, a lighter touch process than, than an administration. So mm-hmm. voluntary arrangement, the company is run by its directors based around the protocol that's set out in the voluntary arrangement and the rules that are, that are there around it. Yeah. Um, so in effect, the contract that they draw up with their creditors as to how they're going to do things. Mm-hmm. And we sit and manage that process. So we, okay. uh, we, we receive the money in, we report back to the creditors that we've had this money in, and, and we then send the money out out to the creditors on the other side. So a CVA is a relatively hands-off facilitator-type um, approach. We might have given some advice on the on the way in towards the restructuring and what, what that looks like. But ultimately, once we're appointed as supervisors, that's us then, you know, to a degree, sat back, watching the money come in and, and sending it out. Um, whereas the, the administration can actually be, you know, us with a team of people, hands on the ground, you're trading businesses and and almost becoming you know, the business owners, as it were. You you you're running the business with a view to making profit to return that to to the creditors, or at least with a view to improving the sale outcome. Um, and I think that's that's you know, going back to the you know, why do we exist? Well, we we exist to maximise realisations. Um, so 
if we can sell a business as a, as a going concern or at least where there is a, um, a viable business moving forward. So it might just be, you might only be able to sell a, a part of a business onto a, onto a third party or, uh, or back to the directors um, potentially, but that can create a you know, enhanced value if you, if you know that there's something moving forward that's going to be profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you know, we would probably, you know, I would imagine every administrator in the country would class that as their, um, their most exciting projects because they're, they're the ones where you are, um, you know, you, you're running a business, you, you're getting your hands dirty, you're, you've got a team out on site. Um, you, you, normally there's a, a team of IPs and their staff huddled around the boardroom table um, <clears throat> working out strategies, looking at, at who we can who we can sell it to. You've also got then <clears throat> you know the creditors who are um, you know, who've been given notice of the administration. They're turning up, trying to get their you know any stock back that's in there, dealing with their retention of title claims. You're managing the employees who have you know, been told that the administrators are are there. So you've you've got administrators, staff sorry on site, um, panicking as to whether they're going to get a whether they are going to get paid, what, what does that look like? Are they going to keep their jobs? All of that, um, you know, relationship stuff. And uh, a lot of the challenges that we see, um, you know, because we aren't, that you're aware, we aren't the culprit, as it were. We haven't caused the scenario. We're just the messenger and the people in dealing with it. Um, we so love shooting people, messengers, don't we? <laughs> absolutely, and you know, and, and actually, um, I have been shot at in uh, you know in, when I've been out on on jobs. Um, you know, the the things that we see are uh, certainly interesting. You know, um, I I was when I was the junior member of staff. The, you know, when the alarm went off and the um, on the trading estate in Peterley um, down in down in County Durham at two o'clock in the morning. And they, so this was the, the late nineties. The home phone rang because it, you know, I didn't have a mobile at, at that stage. Um, woke mum and dad up in, in bed and they came upstairs and said, you've got to go to Peter Lee, the alarm's going off. So they weren't best pleased. I, you know, I was a little bit miffed. So got in my car, drove across to Peter Lee. The police was, were sat there waiting with the, with the security company. Um, and all of a sudden we started to hear these pings. What, what's that? And the police said, get yourself in, indoors now. They've got an air rifle outside and they're shooting at us. Um, and it, you know, it, it's just, you, know, you, you look back at it and go, I can't believe that that really, really happened. And it, it was probably just for kids. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an unhappy creditor. Um, but that's the, you know, it's a job that you never know what's going to walk through your door next. Um, right. Dealing with yeah. insolvency. You know, it, is it the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker who who's going to come in um, to to need some advice and, and see how you can help them? Yeah. So, just to wind this up, Ian, if you're a senior finance guy in a business that, okay, you've managed to get through COVID thus far, but you're you're very worried about where the future lies once you've actually got to start paying some of this debt back. What's the right point to talk to somebody like yourself? So I, I think the most important bit is to talk to all of the people around you. So you might not need to come to me. You might not need to come to an insolvency practitioner. There are accountants who would look at your business in the same way that, that I am. <clears throat> the most important thing 
is not to bury your head in the sand when you see that there might be an issue ahead. Mm. You've got to get up and you've got to talk to people because there are things that there are a lot of things available to help you um, in your in your business's time of need. Um, there are different funders out there who look this you know, at distressed levels that that are always giving us options. There are different processes, but if you haven't identified the problem and spoken to some people who can help, like your accountant, like solicitors, um, you to a degree like your friend down the pub, because actually it's amazing what different experiences people have had and what worked for them might just work for you. Um, so talking to people as soon as possible is, is the best, is the best thing to do. Seeking professional advice is the second best thing to do. And, and I would just say, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about the 12 week cash flow element. You know, if you can give us 12 weeks, we, we've got a fighting chance. I, I always refer to, because of my wife's intensive care bit, I, I spend a lot of time at home explaining to her um, what I've been doing at work, and I just automatically go to the intensive care type, type route. You, if you spot a little spot early, early on um, and it turns out to be cancer, you've got a really good recovery rate um, of that. If you spot a little spot and ignore it and it becomes a bigger spot, you've got a good chance of recovery. But if you spot a little spot and ignore it until it's too late, then the writing might be on the wall. And, mm -hmm. and ultimately, um, you know, particularly in, in SME land, your business is somewhere that you spend so much time and, and such a big part of your life that there is a fear of disclosing what's wrong with it and, mm -hmm. or, or asking for advice about it. And you, to, you wouldn't do it with a with a spot on your on your chest. Um, so don't do it with a, with your business either. Yeah, I'm I'm reflecting back to last week's show that I recorded with Catherine Clark, and we talk about um, having to make rushed decisions with little thinking time and potentially being under lots of stress. And you know your business is starting to get into trouble. Now, that's exactly the position you're at. And I think one of the things that Catherine observed about stress and that kind of lack of thinking time, you look at nearly everything as being negative. You don't see any of the positives. And an awful lot of what Ian and his fellow insolvency practitioners can bring is actually quite positive. It's not all negative stuff. And I can see where the reluctance comes from to pick the phone up and talk to somebody like you because you're under stress. Oh dear, it's all going bad. If I ignore the problem, it might go away. But no, don't ignore the problem. Pick the phone up. Yeah, and I, you know, ultimately, we are, you know, depending on who an insolvency practitioner is appointed by, can affect, um, you know, if we're appointed by the bank, um, on an aggressive appointment, um, we have to come in all guns blazing. You know, we, we have to tie every single asset down and get our hands on it. If you come to us as business owners, you know, three or four weeks before we're going to be appointed, we're, we're helping you through the process. That's what we're here to do. Um, we're, we're looking after all of the stakeholders and we're holding your hand, we're guiding you through it and making sure that you don't do anything that causes you an issue. And I think that's the that, that's the the key bit for, for me to, to be saying to business owners is that you know, there are things that, that you will, or actions that you'll take in the period leading up to a liquidation that can cause you trouble. Um, seek advice before you take those actions. And 
and that can be avoided. Ultimately, the outcome might be no, no different for the company, but it will be better for you because you won't have taken that, that action. And I'm just reflecting on that, and I'm I'm seeing the the screen that you've got behind you, the the screen, the the zoom artificial background, and yeah. it's it's very corporate, representing your brand for those folk that are just listening to this on audio, but as well as the name of Ian's business at the top, it's got down the left hand side our core values, our core values be kind, it feels good. You don't have to be ruthless to be successful. Be inspired. It can really help others. Be considerate. People aren't always in a great place. Be honest. It's who we are. Be fair, because everything needs balance. And I I think take those five core values and then reflect on you in a bad place with a company you're not feeling very happy with its future, but reflect those values on top. You've got somebody coming in who's going to be honest, who's going to be fair, who's going to be considerate, and who might just be inspired enough to help you out of the hole you're in. Yep. Ian, that has been fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us on the Grow CFO Show. You're welcome. Great to speak to you again, Kevin. 